Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It is a new year and a new season with us. We're super excited about 2021. And I just want to start off the podcast this morning with what are some words that describe a certain segment of life or your life's journey? Adventure. Adventure. Fun. Fun. Gallivanting. Gallivanting. Migrating. Migration. Expectancy. Expectancy. I think I was born to die. You think of being born to die? Yeah. You think about that? I think more about death than I do of life. What do you think about death? That's morbid. No, it's not. No, it's not. What do you think of death more than life? Because this is still part of what we're talking about today. What do you think of? You took it to that, so let's go to that. What do you think about? I think more about death than life because I know what it's like to live and I enjoy living, but I always wonder what death is like because it's such an unknown. It's not like people die and then come back and can tell us what death is like. It's just like you're in a car and then you crash and you just never wake up. Do you feel pain? Do you not feel pain? Who knows? Because we can't die and come back to life. We don't know what it's like to die. And so that's why, and not in a morbid way, I think more of death, but I always wonder what it would be like to die. How how does dying work? I mean, some for some people, it's just they fall asleep and don't wake up the next morning. Do, am I scared to sleep now? Because if I fall asleep, I might die. But I think more about that those lines is what is it like to die? Okay. And death is, I mean, a common part of life. But we don't talk about it enough. It's an everyday part of life. Exactly. I mean, it happens all the time. Every day. Every day. But so does new life. So does new life. Absolutely. You're right. So both of these things are things that we're going to be discussing today, death and life. The thing that I uh, want us to look at right now is the words that describe our journey. So in Hindi, we say rasta or marg. Uh, these are pathways or the roadway. Uh, we use in English the path to travel uh, pilgrimage, the valleys, the mountain peaks, wandering, adventure. It's a quest. It's a roller coaster ride. These are all words that we've used, these synonyms that are a reference to our life's journeys. At the beginning of a new job, a new career, a new school, new home, having new family members added to your family. What is the typical form of your outlook towards newness? Change. Having to live in the U.S. for a year. I hated it. (laughs) Okay, hatred. Hatred towards the change. I mean, now I feel like I need to be more willing to accept change and move on with it. I'm going to have to move back to U.S. at some point in time, so might as well enjoy it instead of being in a place of hatred all all the time okay and never growing and never learning i mean never being a better person okay anything else when it comes to newness like new uh what about a new present or a new gift that you get what do you think of it then what what is that joy elation excitement okay sometimes hesitation if it's a new technology (laughs) sure do i know how to operate this and then i'm asking so many people like well how are you working that feature how does that work well here here's my phone you just do it because obviously you're more smarter than i am yeah 
And so then, therefore, I, I remember there was a change, like when you, we went into a grocery store and we were to feed our debit and or credit card into the machine. And so it was all self-due. So you- Self-checkout. You know, a self-checkout kind of a thing. So you put in your, uh, your insert, your debit and or your credit card. And then they were like, then it started asking you questions. Um, is this you? Yes. Which language do you want this in? Do you want this in English? Do you want it in Spanish? Or do you want it in another language? Well, I didn't know. So I just put English because I know English. And then it was like, is this amount correct? Well, I hope so. So I asked the cashier, is this amount correct? And they just stared at me. So I pushed <laughs> yes. And then it was like, insert your pen code. Oh, you know, to me, a pin code is kind of like a social security number. Do I add that in? There's so many people staring around me. Do I just verbally tell you what it is and you put it in? And uh, so I'm looking at the cashier and I was like, it's asking me for something. And they're like, yes, you put in your, your pin code. And I was like, like my zip code? And they're like, no, no, your pin code. Okay, my pin code. And then I have to remember I have a pen code. So I put in my pen code and then it says, is this the right pen code? Well, I hope so. I don't know. So I push yes. And then you're waiting. Are you denied? Are you accepted? Are you, you know, is it declined? Is it accepted? And then it's like, are you finished? Well, I think I'm, you know, it just kept asking a series of questions. And then you have to remember to get your, your debit card and your credit card out of the machine before you know getting your receipt and then leaving the counter with all of your belongings and it was so frustrating i remember the very first time that i used that i just handed my card to the person and said here you operate it because i have no idea what in the world i'm doing so newness was intimidating it, yeah i find it int intimidating i mean depending on the scenario right sometimes it can be intimidating go ahead mallory i remember we we went to target and uh, there's a really big line and so we're like oh we can just wait in the line and then there's this person that's standing there because the person has to stand there if there's an older person and they need help so the person was like oh come over here to the self-checkout I'm like what's a self-checkout and mommy's like I have no idea but we're gonna try it and so we go to swipe our first object in and it doesn't scan so we have to do it again and we do it like six times until it finally scanned and then we did it over and over and over again with other objects. And then we had to put in everything. And mommy's like, oh, I have never done this before. I feel like a cashier right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like this big security camera where you can see yourself. And I was like, oh, I guess this is why it's self-checkout because I can see myself checking out. <laughs> So, I mean, from the way you're describing, Mallory, it sounds like newness can sometimes be frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it was like every time you hit the side mm -hmm. of it trying to scan or register, it would like <laughs> decline it. And so then you're telling your children, hey, it's very sensitive, back off. And then they'd still, hey, mom, and like hit it, look at this, I found this, there's this new candy here. Okay. And it was a newness and it was a, it could become a, a frustration. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think of uh, being nervous when something is new or I'm asked to do something that I've never done before. I think of uh, my stomach 
kind of getting tied up in knots and having that almost feeling of like sickness, like nausea, uh, because I'm so nervous and I still do it. I still jump in and people have complimented me through the years of, man, you're, it's like, you never get nervous, but on the outside, that may be the way the appearance is, but on the inside, I'm an utter wreck with inside my stomach, gurgling around, butterflies floating around. I feel like I'm going to vomit and, and, uh, and yet I can still, I can still do this. I can do this. It's new. It's going to be hard, but I can do this. I can get through this. And I, it reminds me of a time where I was praying, uh, here in Mahali and we were looking for a chartered accountant and, or a, um, a lawyer. And, uh, I kept coming across people and they were not the right fit for what we needed for our company. And so I kept on denying, you know, them the ability to be my, uh, for me to be their employer or, or however that needs to be worded. And as I was thinking about it, I just got frustrated. I was like, I need this new CA. I need this new lawyer, but I can't do this right now. So I would just put it in the back of my mind and I would pray about it. And one day I was coming down from Bible study. And as I came down from a Bible study uh, from the, the second floor of our, of our house, when we lived in an independent house, uh, I was like, heard from the Lord, heard from the Holy Spirit, go to sector 26. And I was like, go to sector 26. What am I going to go to sector 26 for? But it was just this voice with inside of me, a calling, a yearning to go to that sector. And I told Blair, I said, I'm going to go to this sector and I'm going to I'm going to go there because God's telling me to. I don't know exactly why, but I'm going to go there. And so I got in the car and I drove. And all of a sudden, as I got to that sector, it was like, okay, don't go to 26. Go across the street to 26. And so I, I did. And as I turned in, I heard a voice of the Lord inside of me saying, you're going to find your chartered accountant and your lawyer today. And I was like, this is nuts. There's no way. And I can remember sitting inside of the car, nervous by myself. Just like, I do not want to go into the Ministry of Corporate Affairs right now. I do not want to go into that building. I do not want to be a part of this right now. And finally, I just mustered up the uh, the resilience, got out of the car and walked into the building. And it was amazing because they were already expecting me. In fact, the guard, when I walked up to the gate, he goes, oh, Mr. Matthew, we've been waiting for you. I had no appointment. Nobody had called ahead. I hadn't called ahead. Nothing. But God preordained for a moment where I would meet uh, the Minister of Corporate Affairs in his office. And that day I ended up having a chartered accountant and a lawyer by the end of the day, uh, out of obedience, yet also out of the middle of newness that I was completely uncomfortable and I was fully nervous. Uh, are there any other emotions or any other? Yes, Mallory. Um. What is that thing called that you have to do like once a year and you have to take a test? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Testing. Testing. Uh, standardized testing. Standardized testing. I've never done it before. And um, two years ago, I had to do it. And I was really, really nervous because I didn't know if I was going to fail or if I was going to not fail. And mm -hmm. I was really nervous. And so, like, Nobody really noticed because I didn't know what I was doing. And then everybody was like cool about it because they didn't know what they were doing either because they were all homeschooled as well. So it was really funny because 
whenever we were in there, they would tell us like all of these things that we weren't supposed to do. So we had to not be able to treat cheat like we can't have our phones or anything with that and I was like oh well that's good because I don't have a phone <laughs> and so then whenever I was done taking it on the first day because you had to eat lunch there and I didn't know you had to eat lunch in the place because I thought that after lunch you could leave but you can't leave so like by the end of the day my mom came and picked me up and my brother was there and I was like I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. And I think I guessed the whole entire time because I didn't really know some of the answers. So I just guessed. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Nerve wracking. It is very nerve wracking. You're right. I thought I was going to run out of time. Yeah. And those times examinations, a great example of, of something new. I don't like being timed. If I get timed, I get nervous and then my brain freezes up. Mm. Sure. And, and and like you were already mentioning, the people that you were taking the standardized tests, these standardized examinations, uh, they also needed the same instructions you did uh, because we're not all uh, when it comes to newness, when it comes to new things, we all need instructions. We all need uh, to stop thinking that we're the only one going through this moment. Other people also experience these same feelings, these same emotions, and these same characteristics that we do. Maybe not in the same order we do, and they may have a different outlook at that moment than we do. But at the same time, newness is something that affects everybody. Everybody does something new at some point in the year. Jesus and his disciples had been together for three and a half years. And as we talked about several times in season one, it wasn't just the 12 disciples that are so often referenced within church, within Sunday school, within the confines of Christianity. But there were so many more people that were with Jesus that it was beyond just the 12 disciples. And even in the upper room. In John chapter 13, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, we confuse ourselves sometimes thinking it was only 12 people because we think of the Michelangelo painting of Jesus at the Last Supper and there's 12 people there. And the reality is, is that there were so there were more people there than just those 12. And yet they were all traveling with Jesus through this three and a half year journey with him where he is proving himself. Jesus is proving himself to be not just a priest, but more than a priest. When he speaks, he speaks with authority that is greater than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, greater than the high priest, and the people are in awe that Jesus is a priest. Then they hear him speak about the future, and they see that he is a prophet, but not just a prophet like Elijah or Elisha or one of the prophets of old like Jeremiah or Isaiah, but that he is more than a prophet and they hear him speak and they're just in awe of the prophecies of he's giving and they see them coming to pass. And then he's proving himself as the king, the king of Israel, the king of the world. And this is the part that the disciples really hang their hook on, if you will, because they are more excited about his kingship than they are about his prophecy as a prophet and more than they are about his instruction as a priest. We see this because of some of the requests, the reactions, and the questions that they ask, referencing Mark chapter 10, verse 37, also simultaneously Matthew chapter 
20 verse 21, they, uh, the disciples ask, and one of the disciples' moms asks, uh, can my children sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom, when you are the king? And in Luke chapter 19, verse 2, we see again that Jesus is confronted with the idea of his kingship, and that's what the disciples spend a lot of their time encouraged by and excited about is that he's going to be the king. He's going to overthrow the Roman guards. He's going to overthrow uh, the, the way we feel. And we're going to, again, rule the world like King David did. And the disciples are excited about this. So here in John chapter 14, it's as if they're just beginning a new journey. It's as if they've been on this journey for so long, and yet they're entering into a valley of decision. And now they have to choose, am I going to be Christ's disciple or was this three and a half years just a good time of development so that I can build my own personal kingdom, ignore what I heard from the prophet, repent on occasion to a priest and do whatever I want to with the rest of my life? Because after all, you know, I got to be me. I need to listen to my heart and I need to trust my own feelings. This is the place that the disciples are in as we start John chapter 14, and we can see that when Jesus begins speaking. We'll read it in just a moment. I just want to talk about a few things first. As we begin 2021, we are at a place that we've all been alive for however many years we've been alive for. It's different for every one of us, and we're not at a new starting place, but yet we are at a new starting place. So we need to ask ourselves a few questions. What did I learn in 2020? Because that is a foundation for what my 2021 is going to look like. What can I not afford to forget that I learned in 2020? What goals can I set out to really accomplish in 2021? A lot of times we call these resolutions. However, we make fun of it all the time. Oh, I made my New Year's resolution, so it'll take me a couple weeks and then I'll completely forget about them. But if we really want the resolution to stand, it has to stand on the foundation that we built in the year 2020. So what goals can I really set out to accomplish in 2021, especially with the foundation of what I learned, what I lived, and how I behaved in 2020? Am I going to trust God more in 2021? Or am I going to place more of an emphasis on my own personal care, self-care? Will I care for others in 2021? Or am I more satisfied with accomplishing what is right for me, my rights, my needs, self-satisfaction? That's all that matters. It's all that's important. How am I going to look at my 2021? Jesus looked at his disciples knowing that he is about to lay down his life for them on the cross, which was fashioned by mankind's sinful hands. And a new chapter is about to begin. And this is the way Jesus talks. Xavier, will you read for us? John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. I want to start off by talking about troubled hearts. We kind of alluded to this when we were talking about life's journey, life's path, life's adventure. And life's journey can be filled with so many exciting times, so many just boring, bland times, and many saddening times. We need to make note, however, that sometimes when we get our way in that moment of excitement, it's still not always going to be what we expected, and it sometimes just isn't satisfying. In other words, a moment of excitement can result in days of depression afterwards. Sometimes those bland, boring routines, when they're completely broken and we're like, oh, I just hate the monotony of the same routine doing the same thing over and over again. Yet when that routine is broken, we have sorrow because we miss that routine. And we wish that we still had it. And we're like, oh, I wish I could get back to the day where I was doing the same thing at the same time all the time. And sometimes when we have a moment of sorrow, it gets interrupted by joy and excitement. Discovering who your true friends are, the importance of family can happen as a result of a moment of sorrow. That's why comedy works in that way where you will see a a good comedy will have moments of slapstick humor, have moments that make you just belly laugh. Then all of a sudden it brings you to the point of sorrow, sadness, and then it gets interrupted by something that is again hilarious because it actually, by running you through that uh, series of emotions in a comedy, it makes you feel sad so that that way the joy is even greater after the sorrow. And that's exactly the way life works. And the journey of life, at some point, your heart is going to become sorrowful. Yet Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. He's not saying God is different than himself, Jesus, as Xavier continued to read for us at the conclusion of John chapter 14, verses uh, 1 through 11, but that they are the same. God is in Jesus and Jesus is in God the Father. They are one. We do not worship multiple gods in Christianity. We do not worship three gods We worship one God. Yes, he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, he is one God. And Jesus is describing us this exact fact here in John chapter 14. So how does or how has Jesus turned your troubled heart as you believed in him into a life of everlasting, eternal joy, hopefulness, happiness, love, and security? His ever-presence, just being present Hmm. in all walks of life and in all situations of life, from the acceptance of Christ Jesus into 
my heart at the age of eight and following him for the rest of those days of my life. And prayerfully, I will continue to follow him all the rest of my days. Not to say that I've done things perfectly, not to say that I haven't had sorrows, not to say that I haven't had worriedness or tensions and or even at a young age, probably suicidal thoughts. The Lord was with me in all of those situations of, I am with you always. Believe in me. Trust in me. I'm here. Yeah. And so recognizing he's here. He's walked this earth. He's walked the lifestyle of life. He's been with the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. He's had op opportunities to speak into people's life. He had opportunities of being persecuted for who he is. And to recognize that Christ Jesus was on this earth as 100% man and 100% God, I'm not alone. And maybe things have changed in the world, so to say, but yet it hasn't. Right. Maybe we have newer and finer and up and coming things, but the same temptations are still there. It's just a faster temptation, you know, like how we have fast fashion. Now we have fast temptation, <laughs> fast sin, fast, you know, all, all of, all of that is right at our fingertips. We don't have to go out and seek it. We can just sit and use our technology and, and totally ignore who Christ is. If, if we so choose, we can, we can ignore our surroundings. We can ignore our family. We can get so self engrossed into other things Yeah. instead of doing our daily task of living life. Hmm. We can die emotionally and die while living hmm. because we don't want to be surrounded by other people, we want to be surrounded by a falsity of life. We want to look at the Instagram life where nobody's talking and all we see are the smiles and the bodies and or the reaction of, oh, what a sweet family or, oh, what a good looking girl or, oh, what a good looking guy. But yet we don't know who that person is. You don't know their walk of life. You don't know what it took for them in order to create that that photo or that image and are they doing, you know, lots of, I don't know, it, it can be a, a trap very fast. And same goes with, you know, we can be entrapped in a TV sitcom or a TV life or a movie life and forget the real life, the realness around us of our neighbors, of our daily ins and daily outs of communicating with each other. Yeah. And more than just a technology method, but more of a verbal method. Yes, definitely. How is Jesus or how does Jesus turn your troubled heart into a life of everlasting, of everlasting joy or eternal life of hope? Because again, I, I ask it that way with a ha how has he and how does he? Because every day is new. Mm-hmm.
And every day is full of mixed emotions. It's full of excitement and joys. It's filled with sorrow. And it's filled with those moments of complete zone out boredom. Mm -hmm. He's always there. Like I've talked to fellow believers and other people like that. And they, I've, and they're like, oh, I'm so lonely right now, so I'm gonna hang out with you because I have nobody around me. And it's like, but what about what about Jesus? And they're like, oh, but that, he doesn't count. He's not a real person. And the way I believe is that even if I'm in a moment of loneliness, he's always there. Even when I'm, even if I'm stranded in a place with nobody around me, Jesus is there with me. Hmm. He's always someone to talk to. And he'll talk back and he never leaves. Even though he feels far away, he's always there. And sometimes I was wondered, I mean, where is your faith to those people? I didn't say it out loud, but I was just like, why, why don't you trust in him to the point in believing that he is always there with us? And that is one thing that has helped me through everything in life is he's always there. Even if my family passes away, even if everything goes wrong in my life, I mean, like Job, even if that happens to me in my life, Jesus is always going to be there. Yeah. And he's never going to leave me and never forsake me. And he may let bad stuff happen to good people and he may let good stuff happen to bad people and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean he's not there and he's not in control. Right. To answer that question for myself is looking over my life and seeing the constant abilities that I couldn't get through things on my own. I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the, the smarts. I didn't know how I would meet a deadline. I didn't know how I would pay a bill sometimes. I didn't know. And yet he always he's always provided for me. And yes, that's come in the, the form of things that are natural as well as supernatural. Uh, the works that he has performed in my life sometimes are just happened by another person uh, supplying a need, not even knowing why they're doing it. And yet it's the exact need that is needing to be met inside of my life. I think of a couple of days ago, I got a flat tire, got a punctured tire and I was dry as I was driving and pulled over to the side of the road to change the tire, got out, started working on the tire. And there was no reason for anybody to stop and help me. There's no reason at all. They didn't, nobody had to, nobody had the responsibility of, oh, look, that guy is over there on the side of the road. I, I have to go help him. But a young man, Deepak was his name, came over and he was like, I'm going to help you. And I was like, well, you don't have to, don't you need to get to work? And he's like, I don't care if I have to get to work or not. I'm going to help you. And together we worked at changing, uh, changing my tire on my vehicle. And he was so worried. He's like, here, take my number. I want to make sure because when we put the, the spare tire on, it's been a few years since the spare tire had been used. So it was very low on air. He said, take my number uh, because if you get stranded again, I'll come pick you up on my bicycle and, uh, and we'll go get somebody to help fill, fill the tire up with air. So let me know when you make it to the petrol pump and get the tire filled up. No responsibility that he had to do that. But yet God provided him in my life uh, in order to be an aide or an assistant, somebody that was there with me in the natural, and yet supernaturally, 
it was a revelation to me that God is with me even in this moment of of a flat tire. And then I take that emotionally and I think about how he's always there for me emotionally. I, I talked a little while ago about having those moments where you want something with great anticipation and you're looking forward to that day. And all of a sudden you see that thing come to pass that you, that goal you had set and you're looking forward to it. You're working hard, you're striving for it. And one day it happens. And the next day you can be depressed. I've been there. I can remember uh, a goal that we had uh, set out when we were much younger, Blair and I were much younger. It was an impossible goal, an impossible task that there was no way that we could achieve it. And we did. And I can remember waking up the next day going, I expected to feel different than I do right now. And I actually went through a moment where I, a couple of days where I felt low, and alone and depressed. And yet God was still right there with me. He helped me achieve my goal. And he was there with me whenever I felt like that didn't matter. He was still with me because what really matters when people say what really matters is belief in God. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about the goal that you're going to accomplish. When we put all of our trust, our faith, and our obedience in accomplishing that thing, that's a false thing. That's a false idol that we're putting our hope in. But when we place our hope in God, he never fails us because he's never let me down. He's always provided. There's a psalm uh, found in 62, Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8. Blair, would you read that for us? For God alone my soul awaits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Sarah. When we walk through life, when we go through the newness, when our hearts get troubled because of newness, when our heart gets troubled because we have our rights taken away, when our heart gets troubled because something happens that we disagree with and we don't like. It's Christ Jesus who is our salvation. It's Christ Jesus who's our mighty rock. He is our foundation. Second thing that I see that Jesus says, and he goes right into it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he starts talking about going and preparing a place. Is there anything beyond this life? Xavier was talking a little bit about this in our intro that he thinks about what is beyond this life sometimes. And this is a question that has been talked about in movies and plays and TV and songs and books by philosophers, by scientists, by people around the world. It doesn't matter what the country is. It doesn't matter what the cultural background is. It doesn't matter what the age group is. It doesn't matter what the gender is. All people want to know, is there life 
after death? Well, let's see briefly. Some people want to know so badly that they turn to the occult in order to find out if after a loved one dies so that they can commune with that person so that that way they can find out what death really is like or see if that person will forgive them or see if it's possible to understand something that's going to come in the future. In fact, believe it or not, this happened in the Bible. There was a man, a prophet, his name Samuel. And Samuel died. And King Saul was the king of all of Israel at this time. And he wanted to know what Samuel had to say. And so he actually went and practiced occult witchcraft instead of turning to God. And this is a thing that makes the Bible so real to me, is the fact that it would even allow something, a story, a historical reference like this to be imparted into it, because this is the kind of stuff that all other religions in the world try and cover up. But yet King Saul goes to the witch at Endor, and he asks her to perform witchcraft so that he can commune with the dead. And this is what people do today, so that that way they can find out if what, what do I need to do in my future? What do I need to do in my past? What is to come? Is there really life after death? TV and movies speculate on every possibility across the spectrum of whether life exists after death, whether we're, we're living in a machine, and the machine is the one that's controlling the way that our life really looks. They speculate on... Uh, Tenant was a movie that came out last year, and they speculate about the fact that, oh, we can go back in, into, in time, and when you do go back in time, you operate in reverse instead of in forward motion, but yet you're still operating in order to change the future, and it gets really complex and really confusing, and that leads me right into philosophy, who speculates about the afterlife. Is the afterlife really true? Does this life all there is, and can we prove anything of the future? We have scientists, and scientists uh, who are so involved and so analytical of everything, they look at life and they say, well, I've analyzed what we have on this earth, and that's all that there is. And so therefore, there's absolutely no such thing as anything after this life. So therefore, what we do right now is all that matters and nothing else will ever happen because life ends after we die on this earth. Then, and which is why they then develop medicines, which is why they want to freeze their bodies, which is why they want to freeze their head, which is why they want to transfer a body and transcend this world from human body into a computer body. There's all kinds of things that scientists try to do. And then we've got the various religions that do believe in an afterlife. You've got Buddhism that says, empty yourself of everything that you have because all that you have filled yourself with, love, pain, hope, that's all nonsense. So empty yourself of all those things and become like a drop of water that is then poured into the, dropped into the ocean. And that is going to be utopia. In Hinduism, we have the belief of reincarnation, that you will continue to be reincarnated until you've lived a good enough life that you achieve utopia. In Judaism, they have a great fear of Sheol, the afterlife, which is a decision between a heaven and a hell. In Islam, we have the belief that if 
my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then Allah will be gracious to me and he will allow me to enter paradise. And if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds, then I will not enter into paradise. You have Sikhism that teaches us that our good works will help us earn a reward. And all of these religions that I've mentioned so far, not Christianity, but all of these religions that I've mentioned, they all are works righteousness. They are all about what I do. If I do a good enough job and my good outweighs my bad, then I will receive eternal life. In all these and in many more religions that I'm not talking about, you earn the reward by what you do and not by what you don't do. However, Jesus doesn't talk like this. The burden of eternity, the afterlife, heaven being caught up into Abraham's bosom, as the Bible says in the New Testament, falls on the belief or disbelief of Christ. The person's belief or disbelief, not on the works, not on what we do, but our eternal hope is only secured by belief in who Jesus is. Not my works, though if I do believe in him, I will obey him. Not someone's prayers, not our giftings or our looks or how much money we have or how hard we work or paying a bribe will get us eternal life. Not with Jesus. Jesus says, only I am the way. And he says he is preparing a place for us. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to the kingdom of God. There's no other way into an eternal reward in the afterlife, but by Christ Jesus, our Lord, our master, our savior, our prophet, our priest, our king. He is ascribe, we ascribe to him all of these things that are, he is most beautiful. He's the most majestic. He is, he is the king above all kings. He is the only way. Are there other pathways in this world? Yes, but they all lead to destruction. Jesus is the way. He is the path. He is the adventure. He is the journey to eternal life, an eternal life with God. How does it make you feel to know that Jesus is preparing a place for us? And what kind of place do you think, speculatively, what kind of place do you think he is preparing for us? Knowing from what he says already, he's preparing a place for us to live up, live with him. And he says, you know where I'm going because he's already described it before. And the disciples forgot what he has talked about. And they're like, no, we don't know where you're going. Where, where are you going? Philip and Thomas, <laughs> primarily. But he already said he has a room up in heaven for us and he's preparing a way for us. But not all people are going to be up in heaven and claim a room. Sure, so if I'm with him, because I believe in him here on this earth, and then I die, and I go to the place that he's prepared for me, and I'm still with him, mm -hmm. then my belief in him has transcended this earth, this time, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. It's transcended those things, and I am still with him. I am alive only in him, mm -hmm. superseding death. I think... 
that you know in heaven that it's a really big castle that and since there's a lot of rooms there like Xavier said and you know the song that says God has a million doors and a million doors oh yeah sure. when you walk through and one of those doors is you mm-hmm. and then whenever you die and then you go up into heaven and you open up your door and you walk into the castle then um i think that you're going to immediately see god and jesus and you're going to be really really happy and that they will show you to a room that they have for you and then you can have a bunch of fun with them sure I also believe, because it also says in scripture, that whenever Jesus comes back, there will be a new heaven and new earth. And that is the place Jesus is also preparing for us, yeah. is to live in eternity on this new earth, and that he will rule over us and that we will worship him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think of eternity, I think of heaven as a place that uh, is all consumed with the presence of God, uh, moments of total adoration and worship of him nonstop. It doesn't end. It's just constantly uh, moments of, of the, the presence of God being with me and not that feeling of aloneness. Uh, the Bible says that we will have no sorrow. We will have no fear. We will have no tears. He will wipe. If we did have tears, he would wipe them away. That That is absolutely a gorgeous uh, thing, if you ask me. Uh, on the top of it, we have streets of gold. We have mm-hmm. a, a kingdom that is built on a foundation of 12 stones, as it talks about in Revelation, which is not only referencing the 12 tribes of Judah, not only referencing the importance of Judaism and Christianity combined together through the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the way of Jesus Christ, but showing us that He has always existed from the foundation of time and will exist beyond time's extinction. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. he's the rock. He's our chief cornerstone. I think of the gate being one big pearl. Mommy, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what that looked like. The gates to heaven are pearl, uh, a pearl, a single pearl, huge pearl. That is weird to think. When I was younger, there was this song by salty and it's called heaven is a wonderful place Mm -hmm. and it heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace i want to see my savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place and that this little kid is like i want to go there (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and i was like man i want to go there because i sure thought it would be better than here on earth Mm -hmm. i do i look forward to the day and i long to hear well done, thy good and faithful servant. And I pray that I am acceptable unto God's sight. I know I've not lived the best life, but I strive to each and every day. Yeah. And I do want to become more like him. And I do want to hear those words of well done. Definitely. I think of, you know, the fact that heaven is so indescribable. Mm-hmm. That there is old gospel song when we all get to heaven of what a day of rejoicing that will be and then it goes into and when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory it even reminds me of a 
more modern song. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it, the lyrics are, "When I, what will it be like when I get to heaven? Will I be singing your praises? Will I be dancing? Will I be doing this? Yeah. I can only imagine. I can only, it's, I can only imagine that's what the song is. Because we don't know. You can only imagine what it will be like. We never, we don't know what it will be like whenever we enter. I mean, even reading the old, whenever, what's his name that went, who had a vision who went to heaven, I can't remember. John. John, yeah. Reading John's descriptions of heaven mm. in the Bible and like all the measurements and everything like that, that he gives us, even in his description, it's indescribable. Yeah. He can hardly describe it. He's just trying to describe it as best as he can and get it down in words. That way we have a somewhat of an understanding. But even then he doesn't he can't describe all of it because it's such he was in such awe yeah. and everything that it's just hard to hard to describe. Well and the human language can't the human language can't really describe it. Describe it, yeah. I think of another song, Over in the Glory Land. I have a home prepared where the saints abide over in the glory land. And I long to be by my Savior's side just over in the glory land. And then the chorus says, uh, or sorry, next verse, just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band just over in the glory land. I'm on my way to those mansions fair just over in the glory land, there to sing God's praises and his glory share just over in the glory land. What a joyful thought that my Lord I'll see just over in the glory land and with kindred saved there forever be just over in the glory land. With the blood washed throng, I will shout and sing just over in the glory land. Glad hosannas to Christ, the Lord and King, just over in the glory land. These are songs that were sung like this one way back in the day to give encouragement to people who had their every single right. We talk about human rights these days. We talk about social justice movements. We talk about all these kinds of things. These people had no social justice, no rights. They were all stripped from them and yet they would sing songs like Just Over in the Glory Land because they were looking for that day that they would see not their rights given to them or their people not that all of a sudden social justice would reform and therefore we would have utopia here on this earth. No, instead they had their eyes, these men and women that would sing these songs like just over in the glory land, they had their eyes set on heaven specifically because they knew in that moment they would be and see Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. In 2021, if you're looking to build on the foundation of your life, thus far. Let me encourage you that Jesus and only Jesus is the one who can fulfill your life and complete it. Lord Jesus, let me trust your process. May I not be troubled, instead believe on you. May my security be in Christ, the only one in the history of the world to have died and returned with the news of what is beyond. And I know that you are preparing a place for me for all of eternity. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will have a great 2021. <laughs> and 
that everybody will stay safe and be thankful for what they got this Christmas. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.